January 22nd, 2007. This is a Novell Open Audio special report. Welcome to Novell Open Audio, the podcast that connects the Novell user community with what's going on inside and around the Novell universe. I'm your host, Ted Hager. And I'm Aaron Quill. And we've got a special announcement for you today. Yes, we do. We've got a bit of exciting news to share with folks out there. The Free Standards Group and the Open Source Development Lab are combining to form a single group. They're going to be called... The Linux Foundation, and we wanted to find out what's going on with this. The press announcement's hitting today, and we have decided that we need to talk to the executive director of the organization, Jim Zemlin. Yeah, so why don't we go ahead and try to get Jim on the phone and see if we can get the details on what this deal's about. On the phone, we've got Jim Zemlin, who is the new executive director for the new... Linux Foundation, and we're looking at the announcement, Jim. Welcome aboard here. Uh, welcome to Novell Open Audio. And what is this announcement? Tell us what it's all about, if you would. Sure, sure, no problem. Uh, what we're announcing today is the merger of two organizations that have been doing a lot of work around open source and Linux over the past several years. It's the uh, Free Standards Group, the standards body uh, that brings you the Linux standard base, and the Open Source Development Lab, the organization that does uh, a lot of promotional work for the Linux platform, is uh, a home for key developers such as Linus Torvalds, and also does all of Uh, good technical collaboration work on behalf of the Linux community and does a lot of good work on behalf of the Linux industry and community. Yeah, Jim, this is Aaron. Let's actually take a minute and back up and talk about what these two groups did before they merged together. So let's start with the Free Standards Group. What did they do? Okay, so the Free Standards Group is a standards body that uh, is primarily known for producing the Linux standard base. And the Linux standard base is a specification that identifies a set of common components uh, that can be found on any LSB-compliant Linux distribution. It really gives a, a developer a guaranteed environment for their application to run in, right? That's correct. And so if you think of that being something that would help grow the overall Linux market, what the FSG has been doing to that end is really four things. Uh, Creating the specification itself collaboratively with all of the Linux distributions out there, whether they're commercial or non-commercial, ranging from Red Hat to Novell to Debian to Ubuntu. So creating that spec and defining the common components that can be found on any Linux distribution writing tests to validate that those components exist and all the interfaces that would be required are there, creating developer tools that will allow ISVs to use the standard, in other words, tools that can be used by a developer to write an LSB uh, standard app. Um, And then finally, we have a certification function where we certify both distributions and applications. So the idea is if I'm a developer and I write my application to be LSB compliant, I'm pretty much guaranteed that it's going to be able to run on one of those distributions. Apps will find the libraries and those kind of things that are supposed to be there. 
Yeah, I wouldn't characterize it as a guarantee, but I would characterize it as any work that you would need to do to support any additional Linux distribution would be increasingly lower over time as more components of the Linux platform, so to speak, get standardized. So um, while you would still have a relationship as an ISV, particularly if you're uh, selling enterprise applications or offering enterprise applications, probably still have a relationship with Linux distribution vendors. This would be something that would make targeting the Linux platform amazingly uh, simple for you. So rather than a guarantee, it's more like a strong hope? Yeah, well, the reason I don't want to characterize it as a guarantee is, uh, you know, Java, write once, run anywhere. I think anyone who has even a semi-technical mind would would tear me apart on that one. So I I hesitate to use the terms guaranteed in terms of a interface standard like Right, and it doesn't guarantee that you've got a single binary that can be run on all those different distributions. It's really talking about making sure that you adhere to subdirectory structures and things like that. Correct. I mean, you know, someday if the test suites are robust enough, if the specification is broad enough, conceptually you could have a high degree of confidence that a binary would run uh, if, if it was written in a standard fashion on any certified distribution. But that's something that I think will take more time for the LSB to achieve. I think another way to think about what the Linux standard base is doing is uh, preventing what happened to Unix from happening to Linux, preventing the platform from being fragmented into, you know, incompatible versions, preventing sort of speciation where, you know, over time sort of small changes, you know, versions of compilers, uh, file layout and so forth, those tiny changes produce entirely different species that can't work together, right? I mean, nobody who wants to target the Linux platform is interested in seeing that happen. And I think the Linux platform itself and and the whole ecosystem and industry around that wants to remain united against what really is the challenge, uh, which is to compete with uh, proprietary uh, platforms. The idea there is really that uh, it used to be very common when you bought a application that ran on top of Unix, the vendor would say, and it only runs on this exact version and this subversion of Unix, where now what we're saying is go out, pick the best application you can to solve your business problem or whatever your need is, and then go out and pick the best operating system or distribution that that uh, application is going to run on. Yeah, absolutely. And when you get into a component-based architecture like that, you have obvious benefits from a business side. You have decreased cost, better quality, resulting from competition. Just, you know, there's all the goodness that I think people understand comes from that type of, of standardization effort. So the Free Standards Group been had uh, pretty noble goals, it sounds like. Sounds like good organization. We've seen, because Susan Linux has been a uh, an LSB-compliant distro for a while. Let's switch gears. Let's look at the other side now, the Open Source Development Lab. What's been its focus and drive as an organization? How yeah. it, does it differ, and what kind of similarities do, did it have with FSG? So the OSDL was started uh, in the late 90s, uh, sort of, you know, around 2000, to promote the growth of the Linux operating system and to uh, promote it as an acceptable mainstream solution in the enterprise. It was also uh, an organization that provided a safe haven for key developers like Linus Torvalds and looked in areas of the Linux platform that needed 
extra help in a neutral form to sort of evangelize certain solutions, whether that was telco solutions, whether that was data center solutions or desktop solutions. So what they really were about was growing and getting uh, acceptance of the Linux platform as really a mainstream enterprise platform. Okay, so you've given us a good overview on what FSG and OSDL were. Now, how are these two organizations going to come together, and what's really the goal of this new organization? Well, why don't I take a step back and talk about, before I I give you uh, an idea of how these two organizations are going to work together, and frame this around the context of where we're at in the growth of Linux as not only a technical solution that can be used by everybody, but also something that's used in mission-critical implementations in, in large enterprise. Well, by all means, frame away. All right. Well, if you think about where we're at, the last, let's say, four or five years, you know, both the FSG and OSDL have done work around making people understand or helping people understand that open source is a great development model, right? But you know what? Everybody gets that now, right? You get you know, decreased costs resulting from better competition. Code transparency allows for better peer review, better security. Open source has a really fast demand-side learning curve, which means better products to market faster. Uh, you know, it's a multi-billion dollar industry, double-digit growth. Customers are now demanding choice when they purchase technology products. So all of that sort of early work, uh, you know, whether it's preventing fragmentation or promoting the platform, that phase of Linux growth is really starting to wind down. I think, you know, it's just common knowledge these days that open source is a great solution, that Linux is incredibly cost-effective and highly reliable, and that's just that, that's sort of at the end uh, right now in terms of uh, the need for that type of work. We're entering into a new phase of Linux, And that phase is really characterized by a duopoly, or or a two-horse race, so to speak, which is a a world of open, characterized by Linux, and a world of closed and proprietary development models characterized by the Windows platform. So if you think about that new sort of two-horse race, open source has by and large been accepted by the mainstream. It's doing extremely well, growing very fast. What does the Linux platform now need to compete effectively in this new world of a duopoly of competing head-to-head with a successful, very successful proprietary platform? If you think about that, one of the things that's helpful to think about is what does Microsoft do extremely well that has led them to be such an incredibly uh, successful platform? Well, a couple of things that they do very well that we can all take a lesson from is they promote their products in a highly effective manner, right? They spend billions of dollars promoting their desktop and server solutions. They protect their platform. They protect it legally. They protect it by making sure that they're a highly successful, well-capitalized organization. Uh, And finally, they have a ubiquitous standard, uh, which is represented by the Design for Windows logo that even my mother can understand uh, by just looking at any Design for Windows application and knowing that it'll run on any version of the Linux operating system. You know, a well-written DOS application can run on Microsoft Vista today. 
So if you think about some of the things that Microsoft does really well, there's a need now in this world of competition between sort of open and closed platforms for the open side of that equation to do a few things, uh, to sort of take a lesson from that playbook and do a few of those things very well. Um, And that's what the Linux Foundation is really designed to do, to combine the work that both the FSG and OSDL were doing to compete in this new world. And those things include promotion, right? Being a neutral spokesperson for the platform rather than any individual just sort of pitching their wares. Protection, uh, protection in the form of legal protection against, you know, lawsuits like the SCO suit, uh, as an example. Protection in the form of providing a safe haven for key developers, such as Linus Torvalds. Protection in the form of providing fellowship funds for key kernel development initiatives, for example. And then finally, standardization in the form of the work that the Free Standards Group has traditionally been doing in providing standards for the platform itself so that people know that there is a robust, backward-compatible, interoperable Linux platform. So if you really want to sum that up, you can think of the reason for these two organizations coming together is to really produce something that's greater than the sum of the two parts in order to provide services to compete against proprietary competitors. And those services are promotion, providing a neutral spokesperson, protection, legal, safe haven, and standardization in the form of uh, the LSB and the various workgroup activities that can standardize critical components uh, of the Linux platform itself. Now, if you're successful in getting some of these things implemented, Jim, it sounds like there's the possible risk there. Just what I hear it is we look at, even with the comparison you make to Microsoft and what they've done for their own platform, is there any kind of risk in having the Linux Foundation start to become maybe too aggressive or anything like that in some of the ideals that it has? And I guess that gets into my question, which is, do you plan to involve community? How do you plan to incorporate community opinion and things like that? Are there specific things that you plan to implement to make it an open process that the Linux Foundation uses to include this vast army of people out there in the world now who are working in free software? Yeah. Should the organization be aggressive? Absolutely. The competitor is one of the most aggressive corporations on earth. But should it be aggressive in terms of doing things at the whim of any individual, uh, whether it is an organization or any particular person in the community? No, it should be something that works hand in hand with the community, creating new models uh, for doing protection, promotion, and standardization that are the exact processes that the open source community uses effective today. That is the only way that this can be successful. Because if you do exactly what the proprietary world does, you're foolish, right? I think that's just not a winning strategy. What you have to do is harness this collective ecosystem and provide these services in a new way, in an innovative way, in order to compete. And let me give you some ideas of how that will work. First of all, in terms of community participation, community members will be directly represented not only in all of the technical activity that goes on in the work groups um, that the FSG has traditionally done, which are completely open, similar to an IETF or an IEEE model, for any developer to participate in, whether they come from a large company or whether they're just individual hobbyists. 
there will be participation from the community at the governance level of the organization. There will be direct board representation from uh, individuals from groups like the Technical Advisory Board, which is a group of uh, kernel developers who elect the representative um, who will sit on the actual Linux Foundation board. Individuals will be able to run for our board of directors by joining the organization as an individual affiliate, and there will be individual at-large community representatives on the Linux Foundation board of directors itself. So really what you're looking at here is an organization that looks a lot more like how the community does things, but doing things that allow it to compete effectively from business perspective against its uh, main competitors. So that sounds pretty cool, because that means that you're not going to be stuffed with just a whole bunch of, you know, you got Novell there, we're a board member, you got all these other things. You're actually going to have human beings there. Yeah, I mean, because that's where the innovation is required. You have to make sure you have a model that takes advantage of one of the most innovative things about the Linux platform, which is not only is it great innovative technology, but the innovation is in the development model, the collaboration model, the distribution model, right? All the licensing model, you know, those are things that are really innovative. Why can't you have, you know, a new way of writing standards, of developing tests for those in a collaborative environment, of including key participants from the community, whether they're package maintainers for, you know, key components of the platform, whether they're a kernel hacker that's, you know, a really key uh, contributor to that project. Why not have those people participate? Why not broaden our tent, but focus our efforts in order to compete effectively? I would posit that that is A, innovative, and B, no single entity, no proprietary competitor can really do an effective job against that type of model. So, Jim, we talked about uh, how this is going to affect uh, some of the different development communities that are out there. What about the people who actually consume some of these different distributions, and specifically our customers, the enterprise customers? This is a great announcement for, this is just good news in general for an enterprise user of the Linux platform. There are things that any, you know, important mission-critical platform needs. They need backward compatibility, right? They need uh, a degree of standard interoperability to work in large heterogeneous environments that exist in today's enterprise. They want to have a high degree of confidence in code quality. Uh, They want to have a competitive ecosystem of service providers who can meet their needs. The Linux Foundation is going to help on all those fronts. We're not only going to help by making sure that we provide protection in terms of making sure people like Linus Torvalds continue to do the good work that they do in building the Linux platform from a technical perspective, particularly at that kernel level, by paying his salary, making sure he has a place to to work unfettered. We're going to improve code quality by having a a standard that has an unparalleled uh, testing framework associated with it that Linux distribution vendors, upstream developers, can all use to test for binary regressions from release to release to make sure that they maintain uh, compatibility. Um, that kind of work 
really, really is helpful to anyone who's considering rolling out the Linux platform as a long-term technology investment. It really sounds like one of the big things that you're bringing to the table for the enterprise customer is we're going to try to stop this whole vendor lock thing that has happened with proprietary uh, vendors before. Well, you know, that, which brings me right back to the reason that these two organizations join together is the world is now about choice versus no choice, open versus closed, proprietary versus open source, right? I mean, it's just this, I don't want to characterize it in sort of Star Wars-like, you know, the... the, Good versus (laughs) evil. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, enterprise customers are getting pretty savvy. What they want to see is a platform that provides them choice. Linux has always promised that to their customers and provides it in a way that has a long-term technical bet that they can make because it's standardized, because there is cohesion, because there is a long-term mechanism to protect the platform from a legal perspective or from a sponsorship of key developers' perspective. These are all things that people want. So what they do is they get to have their cake and eat it too to some degree uh, at the macro level when it comes to Linux because they get choice vis-a-vis open source, vis-a-vis the standard, and they also get incredibly high quality that comes from the companies that provide mission-critical support um, and innovative technology on top of that platform. Companies like Novell, companies like Red Hat, companies like IBM, companies like Hewlett Packard, all of these corporations are highly trusted in enterprise deployments and all of these uh, organizations are working with the Linux Foundation to make sure that they're clear to their customers that this platform is the right platform for them to bet on. Well, now, Jim, I want one last question with you here, and it goes a little bit like this. Is there a way that people can find out more? Where do they go to find out more about the Linux Foundation? And if they want to get involved and they want to start uh, maybe giving some kind of contribution of help or anything like that, are there ways or are there going to be ways that that will exist? Absolutely. So let me give you just a few ways that people can get information and participate. First of all, our website is www.linux-foundation.org. And you can go to that website today and get information about the new organizations. If you'd like to participate in our various technical efforts, there are links on the homepage uh, to do so. If you're an end user of the Linux platform and you want to find out more about the standard solutions that are out there related to Linux, you can go to our homepage and find out more information there. If you're a developer who's looking for tools to help port your application to the Linux platform or build a Linux application, we have the Linux Developer Network, which provides an SDK to write LSB-compliant applications, which provides a uh, developer portal, which is a consolidated view into common development uh, questions when targeting the platform. If you're a Linux distribution vendor and you want to utilize our test framework to test your uh, distribution against uh, our standard, we have a 
link on our website where you can go do that, download uh, our testing suites, and run them against your distributions. So there's opportunity for a lot of different people to participate and a lot of different interests to participate in. Uh, and, and I've only given you a sampling of a few. There's uh, plenty of other opportunities for participation. Just go to our website, www.linux-foundation.org. So nothing much yet, you're saying? I'm telling you, the combination of these two organizations has really enabled us to be in a great position to provide services to this community, whether it's to a vendor community, whether it's to individual developers who are important parts of the open source community. You know, we want to be useful to them. And I'm hopeful that people will find this useful. Uh, I'm sure we'll find out in short order as uh, the open source community has never been shy about giving their opinion about one thing or the other. You think? (laughs) (laughs) I'm happy to listen. Well, Jim, we we really want to say thank you very much for spending some time telling us about what's going on with this new organization. It sounds really exciting, and we wish you the best of luck uh, in driving some of its goals forward. They sound all very much like noble goals. So thank you very much for your time. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jim. Well, that's really cool of Jim to give us some time on that. And man, dude's got a radio voice or something. Well, you know, it's funny you mention that because before we started to record, when you were out of the room, he was telling us that he used to be a DJ in college on the college radio station in Tokyo. He was a DJ in Tokyo. He was a DJ in Tokyo. And in fact, he had forewarned us that with him on the line, there will be no dead air at all. He did a fantastic job. I mean, it it reminds me of when we interviewed uh, Adam Doxtater from Mad Penguin. Uh, I don't know if you you weren't even in that interview, but it was a while back. (laughs) It was really good because you weren't there, Aaron. Yeah, it was great. (laughs) But really great talker and everything. This organization sounds exciting. And I guess the question that it leads to is, what's it going to mean for some of our listeners who are the Novell customers? Yeah, it would probably be best if we get somebody like Marcus on the phone and try to get Marcus's view on this. Marcus Rex from Sousa, who's now a vice president at Novell. Let's see if we can ring him up. Okay, on the phone with us, we have Marcus Rex, who was originally from Sousa and is now a vice president at Novell. And he's a board member at the FSG and OSDL. And we're going to ask him a couple questions about what's going on. Marcus, how's it going? Good, thank you. Good to have you here. We got a question for you. Hey, Marcus, can you start by giving us a background on kind of what Novell and SUSE have both done in the past with the Open Source Development Lab? Certainly, Aaron. SUSE has been a very early member of the uh, OSDL, which was founded in 2000. And the original mission of the OSDL was to provide hardware access to developers who couldn't, for example, have an eight-way machine at home. So... SUSE actually used that quite a bit and participated in the development activity. We always have been the only major Linux distribution who was active in the OSDL after all. Another thing we did was we participated in both the carry-weight Linux group. You might have heard the term CGL around. Yeah, that's to create a uh, carrier-grade version of Linux that is really set up for telcos and for things that have to be on all the time, right? Absolutely. Yes, that's true. And what we did was uh, we implemented the recommendations of the CGL specification into our main product. So you can actually use our standard Linux product called the SUSE Linux Enterprise Server in a telco environment. Another recommendation that we participated in is the data center Linux specification, 
which has the goal of making Linux ready for the data center. And I would assume then SUSE follows both of those two specifications? Yes, we do that. Okay, that's SUSE Linux Enterprise I referred to on that. And one last thing, since Novell and SUSE came together, we have been a board member of OSDL and participated in the di- giving the direction for the organization. So we currently have quite uh, heavy involvement in OSDL, correct? Yes, we do. Uh, we are now active in three working groups, the CGL workgroup, the desktop workgroup, and the data center working group. And we are all very active on the technical side with uh, the organization. Okay, it's a really different group that we talk about with the uh, FSG, Free Standards Group, and we've been involved in that as well. Can you give us an idea of what the involvement is there? Susan has been a founding member of the Free Standards Group and had the goal of becoming a standard called LSP, Linux Standard Base, for the Linux environment. We are board members on the FSG side as well for many years. LSP is the standard that allows developers to develop an application and kind of ensure that they've got like a standardized environment on whatever distro they run the app on, correct? Correct. The LSP specification allows you to have an application which you want to run on various Linux distributions to expect a standard environment on all the LSP certified systems. That is the reason why we are actually certifying all of our products according to the various LSP standards, and we usually are the first to certify on a new version. And there's a couple different sides of that, because we've got our servers that are certified to be LSP compliant, and then I know from some previous work that Ted and I did with, like, eDirectory, I know a lot of our applications are also LSP compliant, so that we can ensure that, you know, eDirectory can easily install on top of Red Hat or another distro that's compliant with LSP. Yeah, Yeah. so there's a side for the application and aside for the distro itself. Yes, there, uh, LSP has two components. One is the uh, platform component and the other is the uh, user or application component. So we are actively putting engineering hours into the enhancement of the standard and also into the enhancement of the tools to make sure that your platform is adhering to the standards. On the application side, we are working on t- some tools to allow an application developer to verify that his application is actually using these LSP-provided interface. Okay, Marcus, besides eDirectory and our different, you know, SUSE Linux platforms, what other products within Novell are compatible with LSP? One key product for us that is compatible with the LSP is the uh, SUSE Linux Enterprise Desktop, SLED, which is also certified as a platform. So LSP-compatible applications can run on SLED as well as on SLED. And, of course, we also certify our OpenSUSE platform to make sure that... uh, you can develop on OpenSUSE if you choose to do so, and then deploy on Slash or Slash. Okay, so I can do all my development on OpenSUSE, and I know that since both uh, SUSE Linux Enterprise Desktop and OpenSUSE are compliant with LSB, I can run my app on any one of those platforms. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, I know recently FSG's been uh, expanding LSB to include some additional areas. I know one of them that I'm real excited about is uh, working on packaging, trying to get some sort of interoperability in between the different types of package managers that different distros have. Are we involved in that stuff at all? Yes, we are. Um, There actually has been a a meeting recently in Berlin and Germany. We sent a couple of engineers there. a, A common problem on Linux distributions is the different philosophies that are there around uh, packaging and metadata that comes with packages. And that project is trying to reconcile a little bit of that and kind of develop a common philosophy going forward without 
precluding any of the distributions to having own ideas. So kind of the idea is, as a developer, I could build a, a single installation package and then hopefully it could be consumed by, you know, something like Yast or, or Yum or AppGet or whatever the different distributions uh, use as long as they're totally compliant with the LSB standards. That is the final end result, yes. So let's wrap this all up. We've gotten a bunch of stuff that, from what you've said, Marcus, about uh, different things that somebody who's a Novell customer might say, yeah, I can see that being a benefit or this being a benefit. But overall, Novell's involvement in these groups, I think, has been explained with these out these groups being a single group at this point. What do you see as now this new Linux foundation existing? What's that going to do for Novell customers? And what's Novell's involvement going to do for Novell customers? That is a very good question. I think the most critical piece is that from now on, the Linux vendors represented by the Linux foundation have one voice to speak and one group to express their opinions, their feelings, and also one group that takes care of the needs of the members, not two groups and uh, two groups trying to do similar things. So we've got one group really working on interoperability and some common standards in between these different distributions. Yes, and having this as one group gives the clear advantage that the progress will be much faster, and also that as the membership base is broader than with the two individual organizations previously. Actually, the adherence to the standard and the implementation of the standard will be far more spread out. Marcus, there's also been some stuff to do with legality or clearing the path for people to innovate more in open source that OSDL has been involved in. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. OSDL has uh, worked in the past on various legal initiatives, and the New Linux Foundation will enhance the focus on that work, and that work will actually help to advocate the usage of open source without any overdue fear of legal infringements or anything else. I think the key benefit when you think about what historically has happened to Unix with the various flavors of Unix occasionally being developed with intentional fragmentation in mind to be different than the other guys, having a strong standardization body in the Linux space will definitely prevent that from happening and will lead to a far more unified and standardized environment for our customers to run. Yeah, because we hear that a lot of times. People say that Linux is going to fragment the same way that Unix did a decade or two ago. You're saying this is going to actually keep it unified so that even the different distros that are out there and things, this will help keep them on a single track so that there will be better compatibility between them and better compliance on certain standards, right? The importance cannot be overstressed. Differences between the various Linux distributions are comparatively small, but sometimes really annoying to users. What the Linux Foundation is going to try is to create an environment which helps the users to have a similar enough environment so they can actually use it to their advantage, but will also that will also allow the developers of the various distributions to be creative enough and have room to innovate while still being compatible. One other aspect that is very important here is that by having a stable base, you actually will vastly increase the support of the application vendors for Linux as a platform, which in turn helps our customers a lot because they have more applications that they can run on Linux. Great. Well, we really appreciate you taking a little bit of time with us, Marcus. I think we've gotten a good perspective from the Novell side now, and your interview plus Jim's Emlins, that's going to really help out a lot of our listeners out there. So thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot, Marcus. Thank you very much. It was a great pleasure. And that's wrap-up with Marcus Rex. And 
I guess we get a little bit better perspective now from Marcus. He's reaffirmed some of the things that Jim told us about the organizations from beforehand, as well as the new Linux Foundation. Yeah, and it's good to see that we were already involved in both of these groups before the combination, and we'll obviously still be involved in the new group. So with Marcus sitting on the board there, I'm sure we'll be tied into that. And people can look at the uh, Linux Foundation website and find out more on it. Again, it's linux-foundation.org. And we'll have a link to that, as well as a few other things, including the press announcement on this episode of Novell Open Audio. Again, this was a special edition of Novell Open Audio, but we have a lot of other episodes that you can check out if you want to. Go to novell.com forward slash open audio to check it out. You can rate any episode we have there. You can also put in any comments on it. We'd love to get listeners' comments, so check out novell.com forward slash open audio. Or you can always email us openaudio at novell.com. Novell Open Audio is a production of Novell Users International in conjunction with Novell Incorporated. Much of the content on our shows is directed by our listening audience, so you can always tell us what other things you want to hear about. Thanks very much. We'll see you next time.